And so we are going to jump back into the next uh, class here. I have a cousin. He's a younger cousin. Uh, he was kind of that, he was kind of the young twerp when I was, you know, the older, you know, 13-year-old. And he was just, you know. So he's, he's this young man. Um, he was about 10 years younger than me. And when we were kids, he was just, like, not cool enough to hang out with the older cousins, you know, when we were doing, like, cool stuff like making forts, you know, whatever. But, but he, uh, since then, went to college in Oregon, graduated, went into the military, um, decided that he was going to become a Navy SEAL, so applied, got accepted, went into the training, went into Hell Week, and... He got the flu the day before. Oh, no. He uh, basically, not to be overly grotesque, but just for the picture, he it was coming out on both ends. It was just rough. And there is no, there's a couple things. One, no excuses. You either flunk uh, or you make it. There's, there's no reason one way or the other, uh, anything else. There's no excuse. So he said, I'm just going to go for it. He went into Hell Week. Um that way uh, you're also not allowed to have any medication nothing that can numb you in any way so he could not take any medicine and the trainers for the first half of the week were trying to get him to quit because so many people quit about 40% I think or 50% of the ones who get into hell week and these are the best of the best at this point uh, half of them quit uh, in fact this is pretty sad but in fact one guy even died during his hell week it was that bad this is how intense this is and so here he is and the trainers are trying to get him to quit they're just like quit so we can move on to people that are actually going to make it uh you know he's running rucksacks for miles on end and just you know every half mile he's turning off to the side of the road and puking and another half mile he's just dropping his drawer and stuff to be gross he's just he's just trying to survive he doesn't care anymore he just i'm just make trying to make it by halfway through the week, they decide this kid won't quit, so we want to help him. They start actually trying to help him as best they can within what he has to just do uh, because they realize if he can make it this far, we want him. And he made it through Hell Week, uh, went straight into uh, the hospital for <laughs> a few weeks after that, trying to recover from just everything that, that his body had gone through. By the end of the week, he... He was actually strangely still lucid, but the last thing is they have to be awake for 24 hours in a boat, and they have to keep paddling. If anybody in the boat stops paddling at any point, it's over. They're done. They made it 99% of the way. They fall asleep. They're out. So at this point, the guys are trying to help each other. So he's basically just slapping everybody in his boat for you know the last like eight hours. Like, wake up! You know, like you're hitting each other on the side of the head. It's just this intense thing. But he made it. He went straight into the hospital. For like a couple of weeks trying to recover, but it's now a Navy SEAL and can kill me, you know, five different ways with his pinky finger, and <laughs> I don't know what he does most of the time for work because you know he's he's you know a Navy SEAL, and so most people don't. But here's the question: What causes 50% of the best of the best to quit? And my cousin, who is not Rambo. If you looked at him, I mean, I'm bigger than he is. And I'm not, that's not saying anything about me. I'm just saying, like, he just doesn't look like, you know, I don't look like, I don't look like anything. I don't look like a Navy SEAL, you know. And 
So, like, what is it about him that made him, in the worst situation, with the flu, to survive, when everybody else who are more, you know, probably stronger, fitter, and more capable walking in to quit? So I want to talk about this idea for a few minutes, just called grit. Um, now, one of the things that studies have shown, and this is not an accusation against your generation, uh, or I'm sort of kind of on the edge of that thing, but, but what studies have shown is on average, something in our world with young people right now is that they say uh, they're the least resilient generation we have on record. Um, and Dick Foth made the comment, I was talking with him about some of this a little bit. He's like, you know, I think we just haven't modeled commitment at anything. They think commitment is like a losing of, uh, you know, potential. I'm going to miss out if I, if I really fight for something instead of winning the day. I, I don't, haven't seen it, so I don't know how to be resilient, to stick through things when it's difficult or easy. Um, Instant gratification tells us if I don't get it right now, I'm never going to get it. So, you know, if it's not immediately satisfying or gratifying, our culture tells tells us, even though we're Christians and we know this isn't true, our culture tells us the purpose of life is self-gratification. So if something, if your work, if your job, if your class is not gratifying in this moment, it's almost a sin uh, to our cultural value. Because it is sinning against the purpose of your life, which is to give you self-gratification, and you're not experiencing it. So you don't, you just move on to the next thing. But your whole life will be spent, and that's kind of what Brent's whole thing was. I'm not trying to overlap too much, but there's overlap here with what Brent was trying to get at is like commitment. Commitment is actually where you find the depth of relationship. It's where you find the true uh, success in your life. They have found that in studies of people who have created deeply meaningful, significant impacts in the world, one strange attribute that they all had is this radical grittiness. They just refused to give up. Even when everyone else would have, even when everyone else did, they have this capacity, this ability to see it through. So what is that and how do we model that? Um, because small group leading will require that. There's no no real question about that. To small group leading in the structure and the rhythm of what we talk about, but just the kingdom of God, the idea of taking responsibility in my faith to fight for someone um, and to fight when they don't even want Jesus, they don't want you, they you know to, to pursue after them. Brent mentioned Eli Gotro, uh, who used to sit in his dorm room when the small group leader from Chi Alpha would come by his room. He would turn off the TV, sit in his couch really quietly when the guy was knocking on his door every other day, seeing, hey, Gotro, are you there? It's like, you know, just be as quiet as he could. Like, just leave me alone. I don't want Jesus. His life totally radically changed because somebody wouldn't give up. Um, and that's not to say, well... Okay, I'm not going into that. But um, but small group leading does require a sense of resilience, and it's worth it. And that's the thing. That's the thing. We always think like, well, if it's if you have to be gritty, then it's not worth it, and that's that's a total lie. That the that the things that are most valuable in your life at the end of the day will be things that you realize you really had to fight for, and you needed to be gritty to to see it through. Um, and and you know I've got a bunch of alumni right now all helping plant churches in Denver right now because they realized we love doing responsibility, fighting for our world so much 
that we just want to keep doing it as engineers and teachers and stuff. And we want to do it together, uh, but they don't want to just have a holy huddle. They're like fighting for their world because even when you know they have been released from you know graduating from college and they're no longer under our purview, they're like we still want to do this. Uh, and I'll tell you, a lot of those guys had you know incredible successes and challenges and experiencing like all of this stuff. It's worth it, but man, you have to be willing to fight for it. So. How do we grow grittiness? Um, grit is not something you just have or don't have. It's something that you grow into. It's something that is fluid through your life. You could be more or less resilient through time. Um, and it is something that you can choose to develop. So how do we develop it? Uh, one thing that, that they have found is critical, is key, is this idea of unifying purpose. If you spent a little time, uh, and we don't have time for this, but if you spent a little time and wrote down every goal that came to mind for your life, every goal you have, I have a goal to get an A in this class this semester, or maybe a B, or maybe you're not quite that uh, ambitious, so maybe a C. I just want to pass, right? Like I'm just, please, God, let me pass. Um, Okay, so write down every goal. I want to, you know, internship this summer. I want to have this career. I want to, you know, have a spouse. You know, I want this many kids. I don't know. But have any goals that you have, big or small, write them down. And what they have found is people who are most gritty have this one unique attribute. All of their goals line up towards a common goal. That's... I have a goal of passing my class. Why? Because I have a bigger goal, a higher goal, to get this internship that would be awesome. And that goal is serving something higher than that, which is I want this career that is really going to set my life up in the way that I want it to. And that goal may have a higher goal for like, at some point, you get to this idea that there is what they call ultimate concerns in life. That there are things that you do not for any other reason because at the end of the day it just ends with that that the ultimate concern is an end unto itself it is a purpose unto itself and that those are the things that are really driving your life what they find are um goals people's lives who do not have unifying uh, purposes or singular or limited unifying agendas <coughs> Are less gritty because if you have two uh, purposes to your life those things will inevitably compete with one another they will inevitably start to challenge each other and what is my hierarchy of priority when they start to compete and then what about three or what about four like my goal is to build a small group and my goal is to go snowboarding every nights that I possibly can over you know the winter semester and my goal is to see my family uh you know everyone you know once a month and, and all these things none of these are bad some of these are really really good things sometimes that's the problem they're really they can be really good goals but at the end of the day you can't do all of them and so they compete with one another what is my ultimate concern and what wins out if I have a goal you know in, when I was in Russia I would have loved to climb Mount Elbrus I never did <coughs> Um, because if I had gone to climb Mount Elbrus, uh, I would have taken time out of reaching out to the university. And frankly, I just said that was my ultimate concern for being there. That was why I was there. Uh, so I would have climbed Mount Elbrus if I could have gotten a bunch of my guys to really bought in and done that and, and gone with me. 
we did get a bunch of guys that love to go camping, and so we would go camping, and Brett and I did some pretty cool hikes and things like that because that was fun, and they liked showing us their country and places that they knew, and and uh, it was worth it there. So we did that, but I didn't have to compete in my mind with like, what am I, what am I going to choose? It was simple. There's this example that that I once read of this. I can't remember his name. Somebody, Jacob would almost certainly know who this is, but uh, he was placed in the Hall of Fame for baseball recently. He said one of the greatest pitchers of all time. They they said it's it's so weird talking to him because when he talks, every decision is easy. Every decision is easy. Should I go to Hawaii in the off season? He has the money and he has the time. Should he go? Well, I've got three weeks before the start of the season or before the start of practice, and if I go to Hawaii, I am really, really white, and I'm almost guaranteed to get sunburned, and that's going to hold me back from going to the gym for a few days. So the answer is no. Why? Because what is his ultimate concern? I want to be the best pitcher in the world. So does that help him? No. So he doesn't. But other times, it's like maybe you know three weeks before that, it's like, yeah, who cares if I get sunburned? I'll, you know, I'll have plenty of time. It'll be no big deal. It won't hurt me. Okay, so will I go? Sure. Yeah, why not? Have fun. So there is this concept of, of ultimate concern. Your life, decisions should be easy, and they are easy for people who are gritty because they have this north star that directs them. And in our life, in our world, you know, I, I think the old creeds, what is the purpose of man but to glorify God and enjoy him forever, really unifies. In the secular literature, the thing they say is there's no way to have a unifying theory in life because how do you unify you know, your private and public and you know, all these different agendas? Like You should try to just get as few as you can. Um, but in the kingdom of God, we can unify all of them because we can recognize that to be the best engineer and to be the best you know, husband or wife or... <coughs> you know, father or mother and to be the best career person and to be the best small group leader, all these things can come unified under an ultimate concern of saying, God, I want to glorify you and draw close to you to enjoy you in my life. So that's whether that's calculus or sharing your faith with somebody new, you can come to this place. You should learn to start coming to this place where all these things start to unify. They say the lower level goals need to be written more in pencil. Those things are less like, I'm going to die on that hill. The higher it goes, the more it's written in ink and then in stone. The higher level goals should not change. But the low level goals kind of shift and morph and adjust as as you start to try to play with, how am I getting to that, to that ultimate concern in my life? Um, so purpose is one. Do I have unifying purpose? Um, Second one is outlook. What is my outlook like? There's these three masons. Uh, one mason, somebody comes up to him and says, hey, what are you doing? He says, I am laying brick. Pretty straightforward, pretty true, um, accurate. But that's his outlook. That's what he's doing. I'm laying brick. What are you doing tomorrow? I'm laying brick. Not real inspiring. Uh, the next guy, you come up to the, the second mason and say, what are you doing? He said, I'm building a church. So he has kind of this a little bit higher perspective. He has a bigger picture. He's like, you know, I'm doing this. It's going to look really good on my resume. I think I'm going to get a better job next time because of you know the work I've done, the experience I have, the context of this. The third person, uh, you come up to the third mason and say, what are you doing? 
He says, I'm building a house of worship to my God. Now, he's, he's taken a whole nother step. There's this altruistic purpose. There's this higher understanding of, of what I am about and what I am up to. And gritting this, if you have that ultimate concern, uh, is reinforced by your outlook. What are you doing? Ask the one calculus student. I am crunching numbers. <laughs> Asking the second one, I am growing skill sets for my career. A third one, I am learning to worship God in all things, right? Like, how how is your outlook shifting? How is your outlook adjusting into alignment with your ultimate concerns in life or distracting from those things? Um, they, have, they have what they call... Uh, I think this is just personally, I think this is really fascinating, but they have what they just call growth versus fixed mindsets. And they find that people, their self-talk tends to go one of these two ways. People have kind of this internal self-talk that one is, is you could say simply, it's, it's kind of like optimist versus pessimist, although that's not fully true in its context, but it's most easy to kind of get our minds around it from that perspective. But it is the idea that in a growth mindset, you don't look internally for why obstacles have happened, but you look externally. You don't say, why did you fail that test? Because I'm stupid. If you say that, if that is self-talk in your mind, in your heart, because I'm not smart enough, because I'm not good enough. I know that word is kind of like, you know. But, but if, if that kind of self-talk is in your head, if that's your response internally, this is my issue, then then you're not going to go very far because you're going to accuse every situation based on things you cannot control. Yeah. I, don't have the, I don't have the intelligence for this. I don't have the capacities. I don't have the talents. I don't have the ability. And let me tell you, in small group leading, this will be a temptation. I'm not charismatic enough. I'm not outgoing enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't have the answers for this person. If it's internal talk, if your internal, if your internal voice internalizes the issue, you will not go very far. Mm-hmm. But if it's external, you can always change that and grow that. Why did you fail the test? Because I chose to be silly and stay up till 3 a.m. binging on the latest TV show instead of studying and I didn't study enough. Mm. That you can change. That has nothing to do with you. That has to do with what you could have done differently. And that external factor, looking at it from that lens, suddenly you can change, you can adjust. People who often have overcome incredible obstacles where they, we think, man, you would be so justified. You would be so justified in walking away and saying, this is why this didn't work. And we would all be like, oh, I could totally see why that didn't work. They have this ability to say, no, 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 no. I'm never allowing that to be an excuse. I will always find a way. And they find that there's their, their op- outlook is one that is outwardly focused. They're focused not on why they can't, but what they can do to make it happen. And so... Um, you want to have a growth mindset. I can study more. I can learn more. I can grow my capacity. I can, you know, be more in, t- in touch with how to go about this. You know, how do, how, why, you know, why did that guy uh, not, you know, connect with me or walk away? And that's why, you know, we go back to the whole conversation about my identity is in the Lord, so I don't ever 
go there. My value is secure in him. And out of that, I can have this critical mind, not critical spirit towards myself, but a critical mind. And I can ask the question, why did that guy not pursue me? And I could just say, oh, because he hates Jesus. So that's just, you know. And that's really not going to get anybody anywhere, right? Or you could say, because I just am not cool enough. And that's not going to help right. anybody. Right. <coughs> but you can say, okay, maybe I could be a little bit more engaging in how I like pursue him. Maybe I could have done a little bit more to like be intentional to have made him feel connected with more of the community sooner. Maybe I should have actually gone to the dorm instead of just inviting him to come meet yeah. me at that place. Good. Maybe I, you know, you start to have this external conversation about what could I adjust or what could I change to be able to get to what my ultimate concern is in this situation. And as you do that, as you have that outlook, then you find you have this growth mindset that that grows, that changes, that develops. Over time. Um, okay. Uh, one another area that they find is um, our intelligence through community. So our uh, our purpose, our outlook, also our community. Always go back to that. This is just kind of like, you know, we're kind of broken record. But in every context, community affects everything. They've actually found, really interestingly, there's been this study. They've done IQ tests long enough in history to have found this really, really strange statistical anomaly. The world is getting more intelligent. They have IQ tests from 100 years ago, and they have found that, that if the average kid... 100 years ago was in our world right now, they would be borderline in, borderline, um, what's the word I'm looking for, but needing uh, assistance in their education. They're borderline on the, on the line of needing added help. Um, but today, the average kid, in comparison to them, if the average kid today was back 100 years ago, the average kid would be borderline seen as as a savant, almost at that level, in comparison to that. And they're saying, what is going on? They found this really, really strange, and and trying to understand what is going on because you know, even, whatever you think about, you know, even in a macroevolutionary thought, it's like that doesn't make sense. Like how how is humanity getting more intelligent? Like you look at the world, like I don't feel like the world's getting more intelligent. But how, how is it getting more intelligent? Um, and what they have found is that is that community, group learning actually grows intelligence in a way that we've never fully understood before. That, that they use this analogy. I kind of used some of this stuff uh, last Thursday night here uh, a little bit. But, um, but they find the kid who wanted to play basketball by himself, going out on the playground, shooting hoops, was only going to get so far by himself. But then they said this crazy thing happened. If you want to use like IQ as an example in basketball, basketball they found uh, the, the intelligence, if you would, of basketball blew up with one technological advancement. Anybody know what it was? The television. When the television went into the average home, everybody started watching, whether it was March Madness back then, I don't think they had it back then, but when they started watching the pros, 
this 10-year-old kid started watching the pros do three-point shots, trick moves, and layups in a way that he's like, okay, I think I could, I could try that. Mm-hmm. And it started growing their intelligence, and then they started playing on the playground and trying this. Like, I watched this last night, you know, this, you know, what's his name, you know, shot this hoop behind his back. It was like, this was awesome. And the kids start all trying it, and they all start doing it. Mm-hmm. And they start learning from each other. Yeah. And so this group effort they're finding in, in education actually does the same thing. That IQ is, is partially hereditary. We know there is a hereditary component to IQ. But there is this huge, huge environmental component to intelligence. That the kids are actually becoming more and more intelligent because all the other kids around you are becoming more and more intelligent in the world. And so you're starting to frame the way you look at the world in a more logical sense because of the community around you is growing in its in its understanding. So this is also true when we start talking about uh, in discipleship, the idea of like group discipleship. You need you need uh, the the all star so to speak, the missionary that you know the the ODG, the whoever that we look up to. Of course, Jesus is always our epitome, the ultimate um, focus of our example that we are to emulate after him. And we need that because it's like, wow, look at what he did. Look at, you know, Jesus said, you'll do greater things than this. Like model, emulate after what you see me doing. So it's like, okay, I see him doing that. Maybe I can try, you know, to pray for some people and see what the Lord would do this week through me. And so we start to do that. And when the community, when the peers start to actually do it together, there is this group, this elevation, the culture starts to shift. Uh, at the Chi Alpha, Brent was mentioning at Sam, where we have our origin, uh, things like honor, for example, uh, became really natural because everybody was honoring. And so the capacity of honor in the community, because it was the air you breathed, you suddenly became far more, uh, if you dare say, intelligent in, mm-hmm. in the concept of honor because it was the culture around you that ever, all the peers were learning and trying and failing a little bit. Like, well, that was kind of silly. Like, you're so awesome at uh, eating that burrito. Like, okay, but what? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> silly. But, I know, I just, but, but you're like, okay, that was kind of silly. You're like, okay, I need to, like, you know, my outlook. I could probably think of something better than that next time. You know, so, okay. So I try again, like, man, you're so amazing at that thought you shared you know, last night when we were praying together. Okay, wow, that's really cool. So we grow in our discipleship together, that in community, our spiritual intellect grows if we are doing it in a community that is culture is elevating everyone at the same time. Okay, last uh, here, but the power of um, motivation. The why question. Why are you here? Not why is the outpost here, but why are you here? Uh, people who are extra gritty have this in- intense uh, connection to their why. Um, they have this altruistic purpose, they ha- or they have this ultimate concern, and they have a deep understanding of that and how everything they are doing connects to it. So not only do they have this ultimate concern, but they they can answer the why to everything that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Why are you in class? Why are you hanging out, uh, blah, 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 with the outposts, whatever? Why? And how do they all connect? Um, and I think it's interesting. Um, the Bible 
I don't, and I don't know if some of my, you know, friends may even debate with me a little bit on this concept, and, and I, I get, um, it's an interesting thought, but at sometimes I, I feel like in the Gospels, Jesus is okay with our selfishness a little bit. You know, he doesn't challenge the disciples when they're like, yeah, I want to be the greatest. He's like, okay, well, this is how you go about it. Um, you have to go become lowly. He, he changes the conversation, but he doesn't challenge their desire for greatness. Um, and then other times it seems like he is calling them to just straight out like, okay, you need to move past that. You need to grow up. You need to get you know, stronger in, in you know, understanding my intrinsic worth and value. But what they've actually found is that um, is that they used to think that self-motivation and altruistic purpose were like two sides of a spectrum. Right, like I am, I'm more on like what, what's, why is this beneficial for me, or why is this beneficial for humanity? You just kind of think you're more on like the spectrum, one side or the other. They're actually finding, at least in, if you believe the modern psychology research, uh, that they're actually, in a psychological sense, we actually treat those two things wholly independent. They're actually two different uh, spectrums um, that don't actually connect. So I can I can think this is totally worth it for me, and this is why it's valuable for for humanity uh, or whatever altruistic purpose you might think. I think that's and what they find is people that are most gritty tend to have have answered both of those things. And we kind of intuitively do this in the outpost. We're going to say at times like, why is this worth it for you? Because you're going to have a legacy. Because your life is going to matter. Because you're going to have something to offer Jesus. What is the point of that? That is sort of, I mean, we're basically telling you a narrative that is self-motivation. This is worth it for you. That you're going to get, you know, you're going to get skill sets that are going to help you in a major way in your career. That you're going to get to grow in your, your life is going to matter. That is saying, why does this matter for you? And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's something that God would want you to have at some level to say, I want your life to matter. I want you to fight for your life to matter in my kingdom. So we have that, but if that's all that it is, then that doesn't get us very far as soon as we start to feel like it's not uh, going the way we thought. I don't know if I'm going to have a legacy. I don't know if, you know, it's going to, you know, then, then we don't really go very far after that. Um, which is where, like, that altruistic purpose, like, I'm just going to serve God no matter what happens because he deserves to be worshipped. And that, that idea to glorify God and enjoy him forever, that I'm just going to worship him and serve him and honor him because he is worthy, not because of what I get out of it. And and we treat those two things when when we can say, man, this is why I think I should do this, and this is why it matters, no matter what happens to me. Those two things kind of come together, and we have and we are more gritty when those two things come with it. If I if someone has a real deep altruistic purpose, um, their self need sometimes starts to compete, like two different ultimate concerns, like I that kind of thing. But if if they have self need and they don't have this altruistic purpose, it becomes very self focused and and you just do whatever hedonistically feels good and best for you. So when you have those both of those, I understand why this matters for me um, and why it's worth it for me to do this um, in the concerns, ultimate concerns of my life to serve and glorify God. And I know that no matter what happens, uh, God just deserves to be served and worshipped 
you can be gritty and resilient no matter what happens. So I just think it's a really interesting concept here um, that we need to have this understanding of what is our motivation? Why do we do what we do? Who do we do it for? And we certainly understand that it, it's glorifying to God. We need God to be elevated and praised. And your life matters towards that end and why it's worth it for you to join in the mission of God in this world to say, God, I want to have my life matter for you. Um, okay. As a small group leader, you're going to be challenged. Uh, and again, the motivation, this is worth it. It's not, it's not enough. You, let me tell you, whether you realize it or not, you don't want everyone else to have a life that matters and you not to have that. You want to say, God, I want my life to matter for the kingdom of God. I don't want this other guy over here to just have all the experience of joining in the journey of relationship with God uh, and be used by him and me get none. I think that's why Jesus did it this way. He said, I want all of you, no super evangelists, faithful disciples, everybody joining in the mission of God to do this. Because even if it was better for the super evangelist to do it versus the faithful disciples, I still think God's heart is say, I would rather you all do this because I want you to connect that my life matters to the kingdom of God and that uh, it's not just about me that we start to start to realize the ultimate concern. But the way that we're going to get to that place (coughs) is by recognizing what is my ultimate concern in life, understanding why that ultimate concern matters, um, to have an outlook that says I recognize I may not always do this perfectly, but I can always get better at growing into this and have a community around me that is helping me in that journey of growing into that potential that I have in the kingdom of God. And when we do that, when we have those components together, then we have the ability to be resilient in the tough times and to celebrate with God in the good times, to, to see it through and to have a life that matters and will have a deep impact into eternity. Amen? Amen. Okay. Let's take a break. Um,